Welcome to the Scientific Method. We are Pacific Northwest University of Health Sciences foray into the world of intellectually entertaining dialogue. From healthcare to pop culture, controversial conversations to advancements in scientific technology and more, we provide expert insight on science and society. We are an exercise in overcoming the noise and discovering the truth. Thanks again for joining us on The Scientific Method. Uh, we have another fun episode today. We invited more of our students on who were always fantastic, and these students were exceptionally fantastic, not only in their time here at school, but in their time away. Uh, medical students, as you could imagine, have very busy schedules, and when summer break comes around, I've often heard that it's not much of a summer break at all for a lot of them, but the ones that do have the opportunities to um, kind of do what they want, um, you would expect them to take the time and to to spend it as, as freely as possible. However, a group of some of our students recently took a 16-day medical mission trip to Uganda. They were led by Dr. Joyce Staley, who's our adjunct professor here at PNWU. And the students served on a triage team that went into three small remote villages in the small little towns near the Democratic Republic of Congo along the border in Africa where most people have no income, no clean water, and no medical care at all. So uh, after seeing some of the pictures from the students who had gone on this medical mission trip, I was blown away. And as expected, their story blew me away too. So uh, without further ado, here's our conversation with a few of our students on their recent trip to Uganda. So thanks for coming, guys. Yeah. So you guys came by because we recently ran a story on the website uh, that was passed along through a full campus email about a trip that you guys did over the summer. So I will let you explain it because you'll do a much better job than me. But what was uh, what was the trip? Yeah. So um, a group of us from PNWU were able to go on this mission trip um, to Uganda with a nonprofit, uh, nonprofit organization out of Portland called Argonda. And this was actually the first time that they took on medical students to do medical mission trips. Um, they actually only started doing healthcare six months prior to when we were going. Yeah. And before that, they were just doing water projects and getting clean water out to some villages. Mm -hmm. um, so they hired on two medical officers that have been going out to these villages to provide medical care, just the two of them. So they brought on us. We had eight med students and a MAM student from here, and then a, a, a girl who had just graduated from college. Wow, nice. But I guess before we start, we should uh, introduce that you're all second years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we'll just go around the table. Um, we'll try to keep listeners keep your uh, your voice matching in tune with their names. That'll probably be a challenge as we go throughout. But we'll start with you, Daryl. Daryl's uh, making a second appearance on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Back. <laughs> of course. Um, my name is Daryl. I'm a, currently a second year medical student here at PNWU, um, originally from California and went to the University of Oregon and now I'm here. So, I'm Christy. I'm also a second year um, here at PNWU and I'm from the other side of the mountains in Covington, Washington. And I'm Megan. I'm also a second year student. I'm from Denver, Colorado and went to Santa Clara University. Nice. So how did you all get involved in the trip over to Uganda? Um, at least for me, uh, the Global Health Club had a meeting like towards the beginning of the year, 
and I was just kind of interested in exploring, um, I guess, my interest in global health. And so I went to their club and they just had someone talking about it. And then I just got super interested and got really excited to just commit right away. <laughs> and then the rest just kind of played out, I guess. Yeah. So did you sign up way before? So I know in looking at your schedules and even trying to schedule a podcast with students, it's always challenging because you guys have so much going on. Um, and I imagine the summer is a, a much needed break for you. And a lot of times I've heard that it's not much of a break at all. Yeah. So in scheduling <laughs> such a big trip, what was that? You know, it's quite a commitment. Like what she said, they had a meeting right at the beginning and they had, I think, at least 30 students show interest. So by Christmas, they started asking people to kind of put a deposit down on the trip and we got the money back. But just to, you know, find who was actually interested and yeah. wanting to go. So it was by Christmas. I and mean, we had to book flights pretty early. It's an expensive flight. So what was that whole process like? That must have been complicated going over to uh, such a, a distant foreign place. Yeah. I mean, we all kind of booked our tickets separately, which was kind of weird. So like I met up with a couple people like in Amsterdam on the way over, like a few people were on the same flights, but we kind of all just like did our own thing and had like a, a range of hours that we were supposed to be at the Uganda airport by. And then we just kind of all met up there or like some people came super late, got there at like three in the morning and had to figure out how to get transportation to the guest house, which was wow. kind of brutal. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it was interesting because it was like, so this, since this was their first time having this big of a group go over, like the whole logistics side of everything in terms of planning a trip right. like this was just not really there yeah yeah so then, and like they're normally used to bringing a bunch of people from their church that live in the same city that have the same types of schedules versus like med students who are in california or washington or oregon or yeah coming from like trying to get the cheapest flight summer so trip in to italy 40 yeah. hour flight versus a 12 hour flight yeah, yeah. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys went over with the school it was uh professor staley right who was yeah, so Joyce Daly was the faculty that came from PNWU with us, and then we had um, an OBGYN from Washington. He was also from Washington, I think, because he was the dad of a former second year, current third year now, come with us on the trip. And then we also had a physician from the UK fly in um, to work with us too. So like the whole purpose of our trip was to set up these uh, mobile clinics in these remote villages on the west side of Uganda. And so we had pretty much two working physicians for mm -hmm. about over 150 patients wow. a day. Yeah. Wow. The and... medical officers that they have there um, were helping as well. But a medical officer is like, they're not doctors, but they do the trick kind of a thing because you're in Uganda. And mm -hmm. I think they've had like two year two years of training was that yeah something yeah. like that yeah. and so they use a lot of like pattern recognition and stuff that's really super specific to the region so they're really good to like um complement the doctor's backgrounds because they can be like well i know that you're thinking like maybe it's something super crazy and ridiculous but here we have a lot of fungal infections so it's probably that so then it just kind of helped the doctors like pinpoint diagnoses i guess wow that's how do you any of you ever done anything like this before i haven't i spent a summer in ghana and I worked at a hospital there and um, volunteered in a leprosy camp down there and helped wow. clean the wounds of patients. So I spent two months there. That was a little bit easier because it was a bigger city, um, a little bit more set up, and a lot more people spoke English. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I spent a year living in the West Indies doing a medical mission similar to this, like working in the hospitals, but also working in like remote villages like this also. So 
I mean, the, the, that was the biggest reason why I wanted to come back and eventually do this. So, I mean, I think that's like a lot of us, at least like that went on the trip, we all had like experience internationally in terms of like some kind of global health. So, except for me. Except for <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, you are the interest though. I guess that's as important as anything. So in getting over there and it being your first experience, what was that like landing in Uganda? And um, Well, so I think the biggest thing that was interesting for me is that, um, so last summer before this, I had gone to South Africa just like kind of for fun to travel around or whatever. So I was like, yeah, I kind of know what Africa's like. Nope. South Africa is so much different than Uganda. Like Uganda is a lot more of like the classic idea of going to Africa and having things be kind of underdeveloped and like people don't speak English. So it was just a lot more, um, I guess like foreign feeling than what I was not used to necessarily, but like what I expected from seeing in South Africa. Yeah. And compared to your previous trips, how did Uganda compare as, you know, when landing and just kind of taking it all in, what was that experience like? You know, I thought it was going to be really similar because Ghana was pretty underdeveloped as well, but it's so different. I mean, it's similar, but it's so different in its own way, just in the way people dress and the way people act and things you don't really think about before going there. You just kind of expect that you're going to show up in a third world country and things are going to be hard. But for example, we ran into a problem where we didn't have running water for five days. Um, You know, we had brought bottles of water to drink, but little things like not being able to flush a toilet (laughs) for five days was a little bit difficult yeah (laughs) Yeah. um and so i think you know things like that i I never really ran into that problem in ghana was a little bit set up more developed than than uganda was yeah and i mean i think for me at least it was still a culture shock regardless like i mean you go to third world countries but like not all third world countries are built the same and it's like everyone kind of just has an idea of like oh yeah like it's just all of Africa and it's all like underdeveloped and stuff like that but like I mean obviously I didn't this was my first time in Africa but like I went to a third world country in the West Indies and it was still like not even remotely close to what I experienced in Uganda and it was like every country that you visit like the most profound thing for me was like just every country that you kind of start to visit it's it presents a completely new set of challenges that you're just like not prepared for regardless of how much you decide to like do your research beforehand because you know right. um so i think one of the hardest things was that there wasn't much preparation you could do for the language barrier you couldn't mm-hmm. try to learn different phrases because there were so what language do they speak different... in uganda i didn't do so my research on this i think there's like 30 something <laughs> yeah. languages that they speak wow. there um swahili is one of their official languages but mm. like out where we were they don't speak swahili english is one of their official languages but out where we were they don't speak english mm. um they spoke this language language called luisi and then another one called roturo and those were kind of the two um that we dealt with but mm. Um, so like, for example, we were teaching some like educational classes. So I like got all these CDC documents and got them translated into Roturo by, um, one of the medical officer's wives. And so I get there and she had them printed out for me. I was like, thank you so much. This is really helpful. We go to the first village. That's not the language they speak. Like, okay. So all that preparation, (laughs) that doesn't really mean anything right now. So that's cool. (laughs) Oh, what a challenge that is. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of par for the course for the entire trip. Yeah. (laughs) Like not, not to put that in a bad light. Like it was 
it was an awesome trip but like just i think the fact that like there was always like a sharp left turn at every corner like right. where you're just kind of like all right we're gonna go to this village today and take care of all these patients and mm-hmm. then go home and be okay we usually get everywhere about two hours late yeah. <laughs> just the way it works yeah exactly like there's just so many like potholes like literally like in in the way of like us getting to where we needed to be yeah. and like what we wanted to accomplish during our time over there so yeah. it was super interesting i don't know if like I'm sure everyone else felt the same way I think yeah. mm-hmm. we had to depend on the village people there who you know don't have any sort of medical background to be our translators they would just we'd show up and the medical officers would try to pick out people who knew enough English to translate because there's just no way that we could get that many translators and pay for them to come and they I don't right. doubt there's translators that exist that know these languages that only one village in uganda speaks right yeah (laughs) so yeah yeah it was super cool though just to see um i guess the willingness of the people who did speak english like people that have like i don't know what they'd normally do every day but they're willing to just like at the like the drop of a hat just sit down next to us for like several hours and help us talk to patients like they're not getting anything out of it they just know that we're here because we're trying to help and they're like appreciating that so they're willing to just hang out with us all day and like do whatever they can yeah kind of recognizing the importance of having a group were you uh did you get the impression that you were kind of an unusual group to be going into the places that you were going into or was that <laughs> well so every time we would drive into a village all of the kids would come yeah. out from the sides of the streets and just be like screaming yeah. and waving and like super happy that we're there because like it's not every day that you get a handful of people driving to your village like yeah. felt to like go being a celebrity yeah you know, it was really weird. and you had crowds of people running <laughs> after your car yelling uh what's the word what's, what's, what's in what's in yeah. Yeah. Mizungu. Mizungu. oh yeah yeah Different which word. means white person <laughs> yeah. in language pretty across the board and you know it's not derogative in any manner they're just so excited a lot of them have never seen white people before yeah so mm-hmm. it's like so exciting for them yeah and i think it was interesting too because like i think what um our project leader told us was that they're they were the first group to really go into western uganda and like have like a foundation kind of set up in western uganda so really like we're probably the first we were probably like the first or second group like to even help provide any kind of medical care for them like wow. mm-hmm. outside of like their hospital which like <laughs> is like literally the size of this office and like they service the entire region yeah. of like western wow. uganda there's two physicians that work there one of them is from iowa and like just <laughs> yeah. moved down there he does like six months there six months away and then there's a local doctor and they serve like everybody in the region uh, they're called bundabugio they're family doctors, but they just do everything that they possibly can. So they'll do surgeries, they'll deliver babies, they'll do C-sections, they'll do appendectomies. And right. They've never been trained. They just kind of learn what they go. Yeah. Wow. So the need for healthcare was, like, really evident. Like, and just, and you can see it on their faces. Like, when, like, you know, not only when they were excited to see us, like, when we rolled into their village, but, like, just the fact that they were like super appreciative of like just getting even like a simple blood pressure check and like just how thankful they were to be able to like have people come into their village and like actually care for them like is really profound because you know you don't really get 
that kind of appreciation here for like the simple things you know yeah. we take a lot of things for granted like flushing a toilet or yeah. like having electricity to read a book yeah. at night you know like it's just there's so many things that you really have like get to put into perspective like once you're out there with bare bones nothing and it's just your intuition and your want to help people yeah so and coming to a medical and coming to pnwu where the mission is serving rural and underserved communities i guess you guys really went for the the full gamut of the underserved <laughs> right. side of the yeah. <laughs> in your past experiences in healthcare, I don't know what they may be and you can feel free to talk about those, but how did it compare coming to some of these villages and seeing these people who are so remote and so removed from many of the things that like Daryl said, we kind of take for granted. Yeah. I think that, um, one of the, the most interesting things that I wasn't necessarily expecting was, um, so my background is I was an ER scribe for like three years. So I've been like worked in a lot of emergency departments, like been around a lot of hospital type stuff. Was that all in Washington? No, um, I worked in Washington for a bit, Oregon for a bit, Kentucky and Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. It was like a travel scribe. Um, so the one thing that is the same among all emergency departments, no matter where you are, is like people come in because they think that they're having an acute problem. So the level of care that I'm used to seeing is like, you have to think fast and you have to do something quickly and you have to be like ready for anything. And it was different in Uganda because like, like one of the first things you ask somebody when you're like trying to decide why they came to the ER is like, why did you come here today? Like, sure, maybe you've had like heart failure for years, but why did you come here today? Like what's different? But in Uganda, like the reason that they're there today is because we're there today. So they're going to tell you about the cold they had when they were three. They're going to tell you about like, um, like all their old chronic problems that they don't necessarily know are a disease or they don't know if it's a normal thing. So it's like, um, it just takes a lot more time to, I guess, get the entire background of everybody and figure out if there's a problem and then what is the problem. Uh, Between the translations and the the unfamiliarity with just the people in general and that must be so overwhelming yeah and they so the medical officers had handed out to them these like little notebooks um to kind of keep record of when they had seen them so there would be like old notes in there from like when the medical officers had seen them like before when they would bring in their mobile clinic or whatever before we got there um so it was interesting to see like some of them had had a previous discussion, but it was dealt with more like ER style, I guess. Like they would talk a bunch and then the medical officer would like maybe tell them that they needed some like medication for a fungal infection and then they were off and then they would come back and be like, but I have all these other problems that like we didn't talk about that. So that was that was interesting to kind of navigate to because like based off of a poorly handwritten like piece of paper we don't really know what happened or what they're used to from the medical officers or what has or hasn't been provided like um that was another difference like in emergency departments the electronic electronic medical record is so clear and like there's such a clear path of everything that's been done versus like a scribble on piece of notebook paper yeah (laughs) you kind of got you got to get used to the fact of here we ask oh how long have you had this problem and people say five months or five weeks and there it's five years and so you start to think yeah you're like at first my brain went to well that's an exaggeration but then you start to think well no they probably haven't actually seen a doctor in five years so they've had this problem chronically they've had high blood pressure they've had fevers for that long well they all think they have fevers some of them do but (laughs) it's mostly they just live on the equator and they're hot (laughs) it's very hot down there yeah yeah, they, they use the word um, malaria to explain a fever. 
So they're like, oh yeah, I, I have malaria. You're like, wow. how do you know you have malaria? They're like, well, I just feel really hot. Well, no, okay, so now I have to like distinguish malaria from an actual fever or like anyone who has a cough. They're like, I have tuberculosis. It's like, well, no, yeah. <laughs> you don't have tuberculosis, but that's good for me to know that that's like you're using these words interchangeably. Yeah. Otherwise you're like, oh my gosh, everyone has tuberculosis and malaria. Like, how are we going to deal with all these people? Everyone does have scabies though. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that one's true. They're really? itchy. They probably have scabies. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What were some of the other things that you saw as far as just common problems with people coming in that maybe you didn't expect or that you did expect? Worms. Um, yeah. I think one of the grossest things that we all got to see down there was, you know, the water's so unclean. So the water that they drink, if they don't boil it first, they're getting all sorts of bacteria and parasites. Um, and people, you know, they'll be like, it'll be a mom and they'll say, oh, my, my son has worms. And you're like, well, we go through our line of questioning. How do you know that? Why do you think that? Have you seen it in their stool? And they're like, no, let me see your hand. And they put your hand on their stomach and you can feel the worms moving around. There's so many. It's been a problem oh for so goodness. long. Um, you know, you just prescribe some medication and that's all it takes, but they just haven't been able to see a doctor in that long. So... And I think it's crazy because it's like you like, yeah, like what was surprising and not surprising at the same time was like the water issue, I guess, was like you see so many people that are dehydrated, but then like you'd think, oh, because it's hot, like they're probably not taking in a lot of water. But then like you go to these villages and you go to their water sources and they're just like, this is a watering hole for like not only the village, but like all, all the, the animals, animals yes. that live there. Quite literally. Like, yeah. Elephants and monkeys and yeah. yeah. And like, you know, they're they're going to the bathroom inside inside of that watering hole. And like it's like standing water. It's not even like like flowing water where they can get like fresh, like at least like river water coming in, like all the time. It's like literally like a standing pond. And you're just kinda of sitting there like like I mean, they're they don't practice like they don't know about sanitation. They don't know about like a lot of like safe practices in terms of being healthy like healthier with you know boiling water and all that stuff so it was like surprising and not surprising at the same time when you see the amount of dehydration and like just you know you're surprised that it hasn't been worse yeah, honestly right. like you know because the water situation is just awful like in the like the majority of villages that we went to so one of the first days that we were there, I looked over and I was like, oh, I wonder where that kid got chocolate milk. And it took me a second to realize, oh, no, that's water. Uh, Is that, but we, they'd see our water bottles and just be amazed at the clear water. They'd never seen it before. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you ask them, like, when you're questioning patients, you're like, oh, do you drink water? Yeah, when I'm thirsty, how often is that? Yeah, like once a day. Okay, uh, well, do you boil your water? Boil my water? It's already hot. At, like, why would I boil my water? So it's just not something that they're like used to hearing and then it's not surprising when people have diarrhea all the time or like because for them it's dehydration or giardia yeah so which would they rather have they'd rather be dehydrated because they don't know about boiling water right and part of what we were doing was um going and giving education on different topics so there was um, a group of people that were presenting about like how to wash your hands and basic hygiene and like how to clean your water and all that kind of stuff so hopefully (laughs) by the time we left it was a little bit more apparent that maybe they should be boiling their water or something. Yeah. How long were you guys down there for? Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. Two weeks. And two weeks, obviously, not nearly enough time to cover the amount of problems that it sounds like they're facing. Um, did you feel like in the time there that you were making 
progress with those classes or? It's hard to say, like individually, like every time I would be giving a presentation, um, I would be like looking around the, the place and just like seeing people's faces and seeing how attentive they were, um, which made me realize like, wow, these people actually haven't heard these like very common things that I'm teaching about. Like my topic was STD prevention and HIV and AIDS and stuff. There's so many questions that they didn't understand that like to us seems like self-explanatory almost just because we've heard it so many times or like one of the big things was um they believe that condoms cause penile cancer so they won't use them so then i have written on my sign in big red sharpie condoms do not cause penile where cancer. does that come like from? I, it was just like a rumor that had started and then it had spread across the um the population i guess so they're all afraid to use condoms and yeah. so you can't really be surprised that stds are being spread like wildfire yeah. And like, I don't know, like when I was giving one of my, like when I did one of my talks, it was just like a and a with like, for like men's health. And, um, so like I had, we, we were, it was like our last day in the villages and, um, we, I just had like a classroom full of like school aged, um, uh, boys and one of them just raised their hand and they were like, cause we had just given them toothbrushes, like, you know, for them to use cause they don't have any. And so one of them raised their hands and they asked like, Oh, like, do we just need these brushes and our teeth will be okay? Like, like, do we need anything else? And the fact that like, they didn't know anything about toothpaste and like, you know, and stuff like that, just like really hit home. Like that was like, it's just really hit home for me. Like all these things that we have at our disposal and like, we like take for granted is like stuff that they just honestly have zero clue about. And like, it's just like simple fixes, honestly, that could honestly change a lot of what's going on down there. I don't know. It's like just having that awareness is like made me like really realize like what I needed right. to do as a like a future position yeah. at least, you know, because education is just so important. Yeah, to me it feels like the educational aspect was almost more important than anything we were doing clinically cuz like we had some supplies and we were able to like give out some medications and maybe see a few more people than they would get to see if it was just the two medical officers, but even then like we're not seeing nearly enough people for how many people need to be seen that day so i think that the i guess the most lasting effect that we could have had was the educational aspect and it was sad you know you feel like you make a difference in those three villages but mm -hmm. as we were driving back and it was an eight hour drive from bunibugio back to kampala and you see all these villages along the road that are just as worse off and you're like i only went to three villages out of mm -hmm. lord knows how many in this yeah. country um, and so you feel like you make a difference, but at the same time, it's such a small footprint and we just need more help out there. Yeah. It must be even for two weeks, which sounds like a long time. It must go by in such a flash because of the overwhelming nature of how many people really do need just simple, basic help. like well this is the last time <laughs> i can talk to you or the last time that you're gonna be seen by this team at least so that was interesting too just to realize like we had gotten through not even all the people that we had triaged by the time we left each village so like that was also a little bit heartbreaking is like telling people that you're going to be providing help for them and then at the end of the day like you ran out of time and now you're going back to america and there's these people still sitting with their like triage numbers somewhere around their village like you're not going to see them. Yeah. We had to put someone on crowd control each day yeah. because fights would break out. I saw a 40-year-old woman 
push a 72-year-old woman to the ground because she wanted to be seen before her. So, it, you know, it's sad and you, you get it because otherwise they're not going to get health care. They're just trying to fend for themselves. But at the same time, it's like a 72-year-old lady is on the ground. She can yeah. barely walk. Now we're going to see that lady. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's like the ultimate representation of the ultimate desperation, I guess, with how rarely they see people like you coming through. And the the amazing thing is you guys are just second year medical students this year. So it's not like you've had years of experience in the field or all this background and you were able to, it sounds like make such an impact with just simple things. And even on our own education, you know, in our first year, we learn, you know, not so much compared yeah. to what we're going to know, but we practice on each other and we listen to each other's hearts and everything's normal. So you go down there and, you know, we were catching things like murmurs and tachycardias and, you know, ventricular rhythms and pitting edema. And we saw someone with uh, elephantitis, Mm -hmm. just the crazy things that you don't see out here, but you actually see in person out there. Right. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. I mean, it it put a lot of things into context that we learned first year because like, you know, in med school at least like we learn a lot of things we learn a lot of things and some of it is like those they, they'll tell you all the time like oh you're probably never going to see this in practice you're probably like this is just stuff that you need to know for the boards and stuff yeah. like that but when you go to a remote place like africa it, like a lot of those rare things become right. a reality yeah because just because it's rare to us because we have such a okay i shouldn't say good but like we have a healthcare system in place, like, uh, like just because we have a healthcare system in place and we are able to kind of prevent these like rare occurrences from happening, doesn't mean it's not occurring somewhere else in the world. Right. And we forget that a lot of the times because you know we're 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 lucky, like we're privileged to have access to healthcare, even if we're like even if we're like loan indebted yeah. students, you know, yeah. or even if you're like a homeless person on the street and you yeah. have access to like manipulate the system to like get into the ER for whatever reason you need to like, you know what I mean? Even though there's like a lot of bad rap about people that do that kind of thing, like it's still available if they need it. Like if a homeless man is like not feeling great or like thinks he's having a heart attack or something, like he can still go to an ER. Whereas like in Uganda, like the people who actually like sleep on dirt because that's their lifestyle. Like there's not, I don't know, like there's not really access to emergency care. It must be heartbreaking to see, especially with the kids and the pictures that you'd sent over just the, the kids faces. They're so sweet and their eyes are so soulful and seeing their shirts. One picture you sent, a kid had a button up shirt and it looked like all the buttons were missing, but he had tied little pieces of what looked like plastic bag. And he looked like the happiest kid you've ever seen. What was it like dealing with the people who had been so underserved for such a long time? How were they? It was honestly really refreshing because like I mentioned earlier, like they just appreciate every little thing you do. And like it honestly just reminds you, like it reminded me at least like why I wanted to get into healthcare in the first place. Because even like, even if you're not treating their medical, like underlying medical issue, the fact is, like, you took the time out to, like, go out there and, like, be with them and, like, take care of them. And they they realize that, you know, because they don't they don't get that opportunity, like, all that often either to see people, like, outside of Africa, like, their own villages even, you know. 
so like being able to work with the village people and like especially the kids like you know like it just really puts things into perspective because like they don't know what else is out there but they're happy with what they have mm -hmm. even though it's not much relative compared to what we have here right. like you know ha it just kind of reminds you like happiness is like honestly like just really relative and it's yeah. like i think Oh, one of the girls that came with us brought down <coughs> soccer balls and frisbees mm -hmm. and their faces would light up like a candle when we brought those out and they were out playing soccer in the field all day one day and the frisbees those kids can play soccer oh yeah <laughs> 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 that was a, like their feet are just totally trashed because they run around barefoot kicking things all day whatever like if they have a soccer ball from like someone else's donation or something then they play with it until it goes flat or gets lost forever or something yeah but like me and mariah um and one of the other kids uh named tony we were out there like trying to keep up with them and like they can just sprint for days and we're like <laughs> just dying without shoes without yeah. shoes and we're like in our shoes and our like sport clothes or whatever like can't keep up <laughs> it must totally change your perspective coming from and even with the experiences that you've had not only on the patience that you'll see in the future but on humanity as a whole seeing people who are again so underserved and have so little but can turn something like a soccer ball or a frisbee into one of the greatest gifts that you've you know ever given them it must be a kind of a, a perspective changing event for your yeah yeah another thing that um was cool just about being immersed in their culture i guess is just like seeing how helpful everyone is to each other like a lot of the younger people would help a lot of the more elderly people like didn't matter if they were family members or not like you're respectful to the people around you and you're helping them and you're doing what you can to like get them to the front of the triage line or get them back to their house like a few feet across the way if they're like not being able to walk or something like that so like i think in our society like people are willing to help each other when they're asked to or like you're seriously the only person around and there's someone in like dire need, but like the difference of like such an individualized culture versus such a community-based culture was really cool to like see firsthand. It was like going back in time to see the kids running in the streets and playing and not having any sort of curfew because people just trust each other. Yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. You don't get that too. here. Yeah. Yeah. No, kids don't just play outside. Yeah. <laughs> Well, they do, but not right. without any sort of parent supervision and no one looking over them because you never know who's going to take them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. When we flew into Uganda, we, um, I think we landed at like close to midnight or one in the morning or something. And we're driving to our first guest house that we were going to stay in. And like, it's midnight or one in the morning. And there are just people like out and about, like still riding their bicycles with giant bunches of bananas on their back. Still like kids running around in the street. Like you hear like laughing and screaming and crying and like everything's still going on. And it's like one in the morning. Wow. Super crazy. There was a, uh, speaking of that first guest house, there was a baby house oh, that right. was right down the road from where we were staying when we went to go visit. And basically it was this orphanage for babies because one of the beliefs down there, and not everyone follows it, but one of the beliefs is after the mother gives birth, they take the placenta and they put it in milk. And if it floats, then the father is legit. And if it sinks, then the father is illegitimate. And then they'll get the baby away. Or leave him on the street yeah. or whatever. Ugh. So then the baby house was there to kind of take in all these children. And it got started. And, you know, they'll raise them. They'll send them to school. Um, they'll look for foster parents. They'll try to look for, for the family or for family members that will take the baby in. Um, but it was so sad to hear. Yeah. You know, it's 
something that's not true. Like, how can placenta floating in milk determine the legitimacy of a birth and a fatherhood? Right. Yeah. Doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it was heartbreaking, but at the same time, like, when we went to those orphanages and stuff like that, they have a system where they actually, like, put them through, like, the orphanage system and, like, foster them and stuff like that. And, like, put them through school mm-hmm. and stuff, too. Well, so I think they stayed at right. the baby house until they were four, and then after they were four, they sent them into the foster care system. Yeah. Which I don't know what the Uganda foster care system looks like. Yeah. But then, like, there are a few houses that take take in those, like, or, those orphan kids. Yeah. And put them through school and, like, make sure that, like, you know, right. they have a better life for themselves. And so we got to, so one of, one of our drivers was actually, like, a former orphanage person wow and he you know like they like our our project leader ron like took like i guess like followed him through his orphanage kind of deal and then ended up like hiring him to be like a like a driver for like the entire organization like running uganda so like there's like i don't know like as as primitive as certain things are like there's like really cool things that they're doing in terms of like trying to take care of the issue of like orphaned kids over there too where you know you can put them through school and like hopefully like turn out make a better life for themselves and they don't let them know that they don't have to be stuck in a life of like hardship all the time yeah did you hear stories while you were over there of it's probably maybe not something that you could answer but of people who were from the the villages the remote places that you visited who um, any stories of people having experiences outside of those villages where they had perspective on what the rest of the world was or was it all just kind of contained to what they understood from the life that they had? From my understanding, it seems pretty contained. Um, and one example of this that I have is we went to, um, it, when we were in Kampala in the main city on our way back after seeing people in the villages and everything, we went on this tour, um, which <laughs> I don't remember the name of the Idi Amin, the, the whole Idi Amin situation, who was um, a dictator in Uganda, like before the current president now, so like decades ago. Um, but not that long. It was like, like in the 90s. Yeah. It was like 20 something years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, but recent enough that you would expect people to know about this. But our tour guide was saying that um, a lot of people just like don't have access to the information. So like they don't have grandfathers, they don't have fathers um, because they were like, taken by this dictator and killed but they don't know why like they don't have access to news or like any kind of i guess like information that like or they still think Idi Amin is a good guy (laughs) right he literally has torture chambers that we visited that he killed like thousands of people in and like there are people that are so far out of the radius of Kampala like in Bundabugio where we were like people don't know about this guy yeah and like people in America know about you know what I mean yeah it's almost when you hear about it, it seems almost like a privilege to have the the opportunity to care about information like that with the problems that they're facing in their everyday lives. So I wonder if that's part of the the lack of understanding is just that they don't really have the time or the right. reasons to really invest their time when they have so many other things to worry about. That's so overwhelming and the, the amount of problems. I know when yeah. you're worried about like getting your next meal or your next like <laughs> drink of water like you're not really concerned about what's going on in the capital of your country (laughs) yeah and like overwhelming is probably like an understatement i mean like honestly it was just 
from from the moment that we set foot in Uganda, like outside of being in Kampala, where it was like almost like a regular, like it was it was pretty close to being like a modern city because it was the capital of Uganda. Mm-hmm. They had a KFC. They had a KFC yeah. <laughs> so, and, and a Pizza Hut. So. Yeah. Um, but you know, it just being like just driving through the entire country, like when we had to go from. Kampala, which is like more on the east side of Uganda, is that like it's like central, like south central, south central ish, yeah. and then we had to drive all the way across the country to go to west uh, to Bundibugyo, and just like just going through all these villages, it, like like Megan mentioned earlier, like it was just like there's just so much need for something to right. happen, you know, like yeah. you don't know what, like but like you right. just need something needs to happen so that you know hopefully everything can get better for right. them because i mean obviously they're happy with what they have now but like just just simple like having take having water and right. like, yeah we mentioned this before but the water is the biggest first step yeah, that we can take because sure. that's the yeah. solution to hygiene that's the solution to health that's the solution mm-hmm. to their dehydration it solves so much yeah yeah one thing i thought was really interesting about the idea of being developed is that uganda is like one of the most developed countries in africa um, I don't remember, like, it might be, like, the second or third most developed country or something like that. But the fact that they don't know about clean water or, like, how to wash their hands or anything, but they have, like, Coca-Cola billboards or, like, <laughs> it's it just seems like a, a really weird juxtaposition, like, seeing such, like, westernized culture in the, um, like, the main city. And then as we're, like, we had a cool opportunity to, to drive, like, eight hours in a more rural direction, like, towards the Congo border <laughs> yeah. where you're seeing things get progressively, like, more rural seeming and, like, less developed and, like... You go from um, like what your normal idea of a mall would be, like looks like a regular mall, and then you get out into these like cement like structures that have tin roofs, and now those are the stores. And then you get out into like the the structures that are just made of like mud and grass. Yeah. It's just a really weird um, progression, I guess. Yeah, but you're traveling back in time. Yeah, yeah, and so like the kids out in the village who are wearing like donated clothing, they're wearing like you know frozen t-shirts or like (laughs) like stuff that you would see in america it's just like tattered or whatever and they're living in a mud house and they don't know about clean water and then you go back into the main city and there's like regular employees like at regular stores with regular clothing but but even in the remote villages you would notice like some coca-cola ads yeah painted onto the buildings so like it makes you wonder like you know like how how do you have like big american corporate companies like this like putting up their own ads in there but like not really i mean obviously i don't know if they help out out right but But it seems like they need more help yeah but it seems like you know they just kind of put their signs up and kind of leave and it's like well all right yeah that's so strange yeah that's gotta be strange to see oh absolutely especially when you're so removed from everything that you recognize and then all of a sudden seeing a big red yeah you know, right refreshing yeah mad. part of it is like <laughs> like coca-cola actually has certain products they only distribute to eastern yeah. africa we're trying to get a petition to bring them out here because we had about the best ginger beer we possibly could have had <laughs> and it's made by coca-cola yeah. it's called stonies yeah. yeah it's only sold in eastern africa <laughs> bizarre right i tried yeah. on amazon they don't have it <laughs> yeah. what were some of the other maybe more lighthearted experiences as you guys had out here maybe just playing with the kids or the food that you enjoy or there was one day towards the end of our trip that we were getting ready and setting up the tent at one of the villages and they started playing music and it was all old you know 2000 song justin bieber things like that but we all realized we hadn't heard music in like the entire time we'd been there 
just because we'd, we'd be driving and talking to each other and the radio wasn't working in the car and all of a sudden we're out dancing and all the village people just gather around us. Not dancing. They just, <laughs> just staring. Like, what are these white people dancing? Yeah. <laughs> and we eventually got some of them to start dancing with us. They were a little apprehensive at first, uh-huh. but I think that was one of the, the greatest moments of just happiness and joy yeah. is being able to celebrate that like, with them such a morale booster too and like a weird experience being in the middle of a rural village in uganda like dancing to justin bieber <laughs> i didn't ever think i'd be so happy to hear a justin bieber song <laughs> but i mean like even then though like even when they were apprehensive at first like when they eventually joined us and like all that stuff i think it was just like a really you know it was just a nice moment to have like at the end of like two long weeks while we were out there we were on our like fourth day without a shower or like any electricity being able to flush your toilet (laughs) or being able to flush your toilet and it was just like we're like you know morale like like christy said like morale was like really low at that point like we were just like we're tired like you know like like not that we don't want to give the care right now but like we just couldn't give our best effort like foot forward at that point and it's hard yeah i think it it helped break down that barrier one they don't speak english two i think they kind of saw us on a different level we're there to give the help they're there to receive the help and they see us kind of as the the people if for those that have seen movies they we kept it you know we're the people from the movies that's what we look like Mm -hmm. um and it it, it kind of put us on a different level, maybe on a pedestal for them is we're different. Yeah, kind but, of. But you know, when you're humanity. all dancing together and you're all playing together, it, it brings you together and we're mm-hmm. all, we're all human, we're all the same. So yeah. That was, yeah. yeah, I would say that's honestly like one of the highlights at least. And like obviously like playing with the kids all the time mm-hmm. and seeing how happy they were just to even like have people like really pay attention to them. And, right. You know, giving them the time of day was just really honestly like the biggest highlights of my trip. But. Never thought I'd appreciate a rice and chicken or rice and beans so yeah. much, but at the end of a long day's yeah. work, it is amazing. Yeah. yeah, they have this staple food that they um, eat a lot of called matoke, and it's like a plantain kind of. Um, it looks just like a banana or whatever, like a plantain would. Um, but the one of the restaurants we went to sold mashed matoke and beans, and that's what I ate like every time we went there. <laughs> it's like the equivalent of like 80 cents or something. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Like, I get back to the States. I'm like, I want some matoke. <laughs> yeah. Between that and the Eastern African Coca-Cola product. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some stony soda. Right. An ice cold Coca-Cola, as cliche as it sounds, tastes absolutely amazing after a long day's work. Yeah. 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 There's a reason yeah. their ads are all around the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They know what they're doing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, honestly, like, yeah, like at the end of every long work day, like we would literally go, I think we found like one restaurant in the beginning, like when we got to Bundy Bugio and like literally wouldn't stop going back to it after yeah. that. Well, none much. of us got sick and that was, <laughs> that was yeah. yeah, it was quite that, the miracle that we got, what, yeah. 13 people there and nobody got sick the entire time we were there. Wow. Yeah. So, it's pretty good. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was quite the experience and honestly, like, I don't know, it was like really refreshing to be able to. Like, especially after coming off of our first year of med school, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I know for me, at least, like, at the end of my first year, I was just kind of, like, worn out. And I was, yeah. like, you know, like, kind of losing sight of, like, why I really wanted yeah. to be here. Yeah. Which is, like, unfortunate. But, like, that's kind of what, like, putting your nose in the book, like, yeah. does to you. Sleeping four hours a night. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> sleeping four hours a night. And, like, constantly just, like, depriving yourself of sleep and, like, just so that you could chase this dream of becoming a physician yeah and even feels... we have standardized patients here that we see right. but it's it's not you know same. you're on you're quite literally being recorded and taped <laughs> and they're grading you mm-hmm. and 
Yeah. It's a stressful environment, yeah. but to be out there and to, to take a history and do a physical exam on someone and right. it's just a natural situation and they actually have a real problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's just a lot easier. It flows a lot better and it made me feel like I'm actually good at what I right. can do instead of where I fumble and mess with my words when I because try to Because you're nervous that you're being patient. recorded or what. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah like there is... There was one patient that just had like a very simple, like classic UTI kind of case. And like I was getting the history and I started to do a physical exam. Um, and I did this, like, it's called testing for CVA tenderness. And you're basically like putting your hand on their costovertebral angle and like tapping on it. And if they're tender, they probably have a kidney infection. And so I did that and I was like, oh, we got some findings. So then I like tell the doctor that I'm with what was going on. And she was like, okay, writes a prescription. I was like, you're trusting me? Like, yeah. what? Like, that feels like autonomy. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And just coming from med school where you're constantly being like critiqued and for a good reason and like being told that you're wrong and like <laughs> all of this stuff every yeah. single day. It was cool, like you were saying, Daryl, to put things in perspective and like remember that the reason you're here and studying for so many hours, like studying all these different facts about diseases is because you are trying to help people. So being able to put faces to that was um, refreshing for me as well. Yeah. Uh, really just set the tone for I mean for our first week back and just kind of yeah. like really get ready to hit the books hard so that we can finish off what we came here to do you yeah know? so yeah coming away from a trip like that and coming away from the first year which by the end I can imagine you're pretty worn out and kind of lose sight of the the reason for being here what was uh if you could boil it down to kind of a, a biggest takeaway what was your biggest takeaway that you could put forth in in your future maybe this year or as a physician or oh man i'll be last i i have kind of an answer Let's see if i can put something <laughs> together um so starting with an example we when we went to go visit the <clears throat> hospital out in bundabugio which has the two doctors um we met this doctor the one that i was talking about that's from iowa um and he, we invited him to come work with us for a day. And so he like volunteered his time and came out and spent a few hours like seeing patients with us and just like seeing the way that he works as um, like an international physician and like using his training and using like the like classic disease scripts of like pattern recognition stuff that you would normally see in Africa. Like he was able to pull everything together and he like, he didn't lower his standards because he was in Africa. Like he kept his standards that he learned in school and in his training in the States or whatever and took that back to Africa and like, that really, really made a difference versus like going and being like, oh, well, we're in Africa, so we don't change our gloves as many times or we don't sanitize our hands after every patient or whatever. Um, no, he would still do all those things every single time, even though he's seeing people on a dirt floor, like, which I thought was, um, I, I guess, just really inspirational to remember that like it doesn't really matter what the situation is or who your patient is. It doesn't matter if they're like, a, like super rich doctor or if they're like a homeless person that just came in off of the streets or whatever like you do things the exact same way every time because that's the standard and that's how you do things correctly so I think that's one of the biggest things I took away from this trip I think it reminded me that I'm learning all this stuff to help those people to help those people that don't have anyone else to give them that knowledge you know we're sitting here we're studying these books and it's not, it's not to get a good grade. It's not to get a ranking in your class. It's not to pass boards. It's to save people's lives in the future. And to have that knowledge when you're out there and sitting there, and I'm trying to remember back to my derm days of well, what is this that I'm seeing on this patient? Um, and, and 
we, we ran into a problem there that someone had come in and nobody could diagnose her. And we had the doctors there and they're like, I don't know what that is. And it turned out it was a fungal infection that had just gotten so bad that you would never see that in America because nothing would ever let it get that bad. But the fact that we're sitting there and can't figure it out, I'm like, I just finished my derm section in school. I should know this. And it made me realize I'm not, I, I might've focused my learning a little bit. You get caught up in the grades and the board studying. And this year I think I'm, I'm learning things because I want to know it later in life. And I think it, it changed my focus that way. And that was one of the most important things for me. Well, all, all of what was just said can apply to me as well. But um, <laughs> um, I mean, just like, I think the humility aspect of it all was just really important to be able to remember, like, yeah, we are in med school. And like, you know, you know, a lot of doctors have like a, a bad reputation for just not really being humanistic, I guess, because we're just kind of like seeing patients as a disease state as opposed to as a human, you know? And so when we got over there and we literally had zero diagnostic equipment, like we had nothing to really like hang our hats on except for our own intuition, our own learning, and maybe a few, like a, a book, <laughs> like we, we had a book. Um, uh, you issued blood pressure <laughs> And like really, yeah, really like not the best blood pressure cuffs and like you know we really just had to sit back and realize like you know we can do a lot with very little so imagine what we can do with more knowledge and you know the fact that we're learning all these things now and like if we take it seriously and have the right mindset to it we can honestly do a lot of good in terms of just being able to affect change <laughs> and not just on the medicine side of everything like just being able to provide care and like actually have people that you know especially in america where we have issues with like pe people not like having their attention given to them by their physician and stuff like that like just the simplest like hey how's it going and being able to understand like where they're coming from as opposed to yeah you have diabetes go take go take your pills and you know yeah. and just go away like just being able to understand the humility aspect of everything once we get to that point and like being able to use it in our practice would be just so much more helpful in terms of, I think, actually taking care of people as opposed to just giving them drugs and, you know, and moving on from it. So. Thanks again for tuning into The Scientific Method. To be the first to hear our upcoming episodes, including our conversations with the nation's leading healthcare experts on topics such as opioids in America, healthcare reform, corporate funded research, and more, subscribe now.